Over the last several weeks, we have been working on uh, looking at what the Bible says are ingredients to help us grow as followers of Jesus and as a church. And, and we began this journey, and, and there's a pattern that we're following. We're looking at, at those ingredients, and we're looking first at how Jesus did it, and then how the first church did it, and, and then we draw the analysis of how we should do it. So it, it's we walked along that. We started with prayer. And if you remember, we started Jesus in prayer and then the church in prayer and then how we are to pray. And then, then we moved from prayer to uh, obedience. Uh, Jesus obeys, Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Um, and, and, then, and then the church obe- obeys. That was last week, uh, Acts chapter 4. And, and uh, then we draw conclusions about how we are to obey. Today, we start a third ingredient. Now, as we look at these ingredients, I want you to kind of see the progression. Prayer uh, is an essential ingredient because prayer tunes our heart to God's will. Prayer connects us to what God wants. Prayer is not us giving God the laundry list of what he should be doing for us, but rather prayer primarily is us connecting our hearts to his so that we understand what he desires and we adjust our life to fit his will. Now, he also, uh, like any good father, hears the requests of his children in order to help. But those uh, requests uh, are made in accordance to his will. Those are the ones that, that uh, we find answered, okay? So prayer connects us to the will of God. Then obedience, that's, that's prayer in action. Obedience is where we have learned the heart of God, and now we move our hands in tune with what His Word says, what His heart desires. Pray, uh, prayer uh, connects us or syncs us up, fuses our hearts to God's will. That's what prayer does. And then obedience is acting accordingly. And in the same way that prayer flows into obedience, the third ingredient that leads to growth as followers of Christ and as the church is mission. Mission is a a specific aspect of our obedience. Mission is uh, that which... Uh, we see throughout Scripture, uh, God had a mission from the very beginning of time when he, made, uh, uh, when he made Adam and Eve in his own image and likeness. There was a mission to fulfill. Uh, when he raised up Israel uh, 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 from Abraham, and he promised in, in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham, he's going to make a great nation and a great people that flows out of mission. Uh, When we see David being raised up uh, out of uh, uh, the backside of a wilderness as a little shepherd to become king, that's God's mission. As we we see uh, even the captivity of Israel and and, and, uh, and, and, and all the trauma and struggle and and, and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and all of those are part of God's mission that leads to Jesus, Jesus being uh, the, fu- uh, the, the, the supreme fulfillment of God's mission on earth. Jesus lived his life to fulfill God's mission. And he gives us the mandate as his bride called the church and as followers of Jesus to continue on that mission. Jesus is on mission. Now, today we're going to look at John chapter 4. And we're going to see how Jesus is on mission with a particular person in a particular place. 
But that is not all there is about Jesus' mission. It wasn't like, oh, I just met this one person and that's all the mission. I No, Jesus, from the moment of his birth, uh, the angels announced uh, 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 to the shepherds, uh, uh, don't be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings or good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, the savior, the rescuer, which is Christ the Lord. That's the news of, of God's uh, mission being fulfilled through Jesus. And so as we look, as we, as we look at, as we look at what what God has in store for us, we need to look through the lens of the mission that Jesus had. So in John chapter 4, Jesus has just left Nicodemus, then he's ministering uh, in Judea, but he's got to go up to Galilee. So Judea is in the southern part of Palestine. He's got to move up to Galilee, which is the northern part of Palestine. And so he, he, uh, he, he starts making that journey. And the Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 4, that Jesus, he needed to go through Samaria. And we'll talk about that in a second. So, so that's the setting of this passage. But before we get too far down the road in the setting, I, I just want us to understand that Jesus needed to go to Samaria, not merely because it's the, it's the straightest line between Judea and Galilee. It is. If you're, if you're going a straight line from where he was to where he needed to go, you travel north through Samaria. That's most certainly true. But in Jesus' day, most faithful Jewish people would not go through Samaria. Most faithful Jewish people looked at Samaria as the seedy side of town, even though it was an entire region. It, most people, most faithful Jewish people, uh, they, they looked as, uh, at the Samaritans as basically unclean people that they needed to keep their distance from. And so they would go around Samaria. They wouldn't go the straight line north and south. They would go, they would go uh, east, north, west in order to get uh, to, to where they needed to go. So... There had to be something more than just a geographical necessity, in my thinking. And even the language that that verb needed, he needed to go through Samaria in verse 4, that verb needed is a, a particular Greek term. Uh, if you were using English letters to, to spell it out, it would be D-E-I. And that, that particular verb, needed, it, it, it portrays in many places throughout Scripture, and I believe here, a, a divine command. See, Jesus needed to go through Samaria not merely because it was the straightest point between, straightest line between two points. Jesus needed to go through Samaria because that's what God called him to do. God intended, mandated for Jesus to be on mission in Samaria. So he starts here goes there, but the stopping off point was a little village called Sychar. The reason Jesus went to Sychar was so that he could be on mission specifically with a woman who had a thirsty soul 
And Jesus needed to share with her how that she could be satisfied. And Jesus was on mission. Jesus was on mission throughout his ministry. From the moment of his birth to the moment of his death, Jesus was on mission. He was on mission because the mission was God's mandate and still is today. The mission itself, helping others see how that they can find life in Christ. Now, I want you to get the picture, and all of us should understand it who are followers of Jesus. So you ought to understand this picture I'm about to paint. There are people who are far from God, separated from God by sin. Now, the reason we who are followers of Christ should know about that is because that's who we once were. Ephesians 2 says, but you and I were dead in our sin and our trespasses, in which we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who now works among the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in lust of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says that we were once far from God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, you weren't born that way. I want you to hear that. You weren't born that way. If you're a follower of Jesus, you were born separated from God by your sin. Okay? But God sent Jesus to bridge the distance between we who are far from God and God himself. So when we talk about a mission, we're talking about a mission to people who are far from God. And what is our mission? To help them find life through Christ. And that's what Jesus is, does here in John 4, but it's not just John 4. We hear him say in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says to the, to the crowd, he says, the Son of Man, talking about himself, the Son of Man uh, uh, has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus came not to be served, even though he was the King of kings and Lord of lords, even though he is the son of the living God, he came not to be served as was his right. He came to serve. And how did he serve? By giving his life as payment price for sinners to help those who are far from God find life through faith in him. That's why we hear Jesus say he spent, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus has spent the day with a guy named Zacchaeus, a tax collector. And, and in spending the day with Zacchaeus, uh, Zacchaeus' life was forever changed. He, Zacchaeus was far from God, but after spending time with Jesus, he was brought near to God. His life was changed. Well, the religious people didn't like that. They were perturbed that Jesus had spent the day with Zacchaeus, and so they asked him about it. And in and, and Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus describes his mission. The Son of Man, again, talking about himself, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the mission. In his high priestly prayer, just before he's arrested and crucified, in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, Jesus prays the heartbeat of his life. He prays the, the, the mandate upon his soul. In John 17, beginning in verse 1, Jesus prays. He says, Father... The hour has come. 
Glorify your son that your son might also glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have finished the work you have given me to do. I've glorified you on this earth. I've finished the work you've given me to do. Jesus in that prayer says, here's my job. Here's my mission to give eternal life to people, to to point people to how they can escape the the thirsty soul and the hungry heart in which they're living because of their sin, and how that they might find eternal life and abundant life, life as God intended through faith in Jesus. And every step Jesus took was informed by that mission. Now, I want you to get this, okay? Because all of us who are followers of Jesus and church, we say we're followers of Jesus and yet we neglect his mission. Can I tell you we are not following Jesus? If we say we're following Jesus but we ignore the mission that drove him We're not following Jesus. We're following something else, but we're not following Jesus. To follow Jesus, we must be covered in the dust of his urgency and his passion. We must be covered in the dust of his heart beating to fulfill God's mandate. See, Jesus not only lived this mission, but he gave that mission to you and to me. In Matthew chapter 28, he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, talking to us and talking to the disciples, therefore, as you go, make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've taught you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Our mission to make disciples, help those who are far from God find life through Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, You, talking to us, talking to his followers, talking to the church, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you so that we can rest in that power, so that we can exult in that power. No, we receive the power so that we might be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the uttermost part of the earth. His mission has become our mission because it's God's mandate. So as we look at how Jesus fulfilled his mission and obeyed the mandate of God, we need to see as followers of Jesus how that we must be fulfilling our mission, the mission that God has given us. And that mission, just like Jesus, our mission is to help those who are far from God find life through Jesus Christ. So as we look at this passage, Jesus went because he had to. This was God's mandate for him. And so he's sitting on, the, on the Jacob's well there in the village of Sychar. And a woman comes up in the middle of the day to draw water. And that is exactly what Jesus was waiting for. That's his mission. His mission wasn't global in that that moment. It was very personal, very individual. He didn't have to travel to, to Asia Minor. All he had to do was go through Samaria. 
to fulfill God's mandate. Now, listen to me. Church, listen to me. Followers of Jesus, listen to me. I can't say it enough. If we say we are faithfully following Jesus and yet we refuse, fail, neglect, or ignore this mission, personally, individually, taking responsibility for this mission, we are deceiving ourselves. We are not faithfully following Jesus. We are sinning against a holy God. Okay? Now, it, 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 this sermon is, everybody's always quiet in this sermon. I mean, every, every worship gathering, everybody's really quiet. And I understand why. I really do. I get it. Because, uh, uh, I, I mean, this is going to be pretty brief, but very pointed. Because, see, what happens is we play these religious games. We get in our religious circles, and we play these religious games. We put on our religious clothes, and we sing our religious songs, and we act like we're all religious. But we take no personal responsibility to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and fulfill the mission that is God's mandate for our life. And after the hearing of God's word today, we all will know that we are responsible if indeed we're followers of Jesus. Okay? And I know, look, it's like, uh, it, it's, 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 it, it, it's heavy. It's heavy when you have to own something that perhaps you have not owned. So I, I get it. it. It may not be easy. But we must obey if we are to grow. All right, so let's look at this. Jesus encounters the woman at the well. She comes up, and uh, beginning in verse 7, uh, the woman, uh, Samaria, came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, and, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. What we learn, the first thing that we learn from Jesus on mission is that the mission drives our actions. The mission drives our actions. Jesus did the unexpected, the unusual. Bottom line, he broke every social and religious, social custom and religious tradition when he stopped in Samaria and talked to a Samaritan woman and asked her to draw water from a well for him to drink. Everything that he did in that moment broke all the rules. When I say broke the rules, it meant in a Jewish mindset, according to their code and according to their traditions, the fact that Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman and took a water pot from her to, to drink water from meant that he was defiled. In their thinking, the fact that he was talking to this woman defiled him, and it was multiplied exponentially when he took the water pot from her and drank from it. And you might say, well, that doesn't make any sense. How many traditions do we follow that just don't make any sense? But Jesus determined that there was no code or tradition made by human people that was more important than fulfilling the mission that God had given him. 
I want you to hear me. There is no tradition or code that we have created that is more important than fulfilling the mission that God has given us. So if I come here and I take off my jacket and I take off my tie and I roll up my sleeves, I'm not going to do that, and I unbutton this top button, and you look and you say, we don't dress like that in church. Really? Who made that rule? You won't find it in the Bible. Who made that rule? Who made it? We did. I know it's hard for some of y'all to acknowledge that. I know. I, I get it. I really do. But Jesus broke this rule. People come in here with shorts and flip-flops and a t-shirt on. And you are offended. Why? <laughs> You're not offended, obviously. <laughs> Why are you offended by that? Why? Because they're breaking your rule. Who made that rule? I mean, it's not in the Bible. You realize Jesus probably wore flip-flops, right? Y'all get that, right? I, I mean, if, if he was wearing shoes at all, in flip-flops, right? Y'all get that? Okay, all right. I, I mean, why, why do we make these rules? I understand why we make them, and I'm not saying every rule is bad or every tradition is wrong. I'm just saying it becomes an idol. When we elevate the tradition or the code above the clear command to fulfill God's mission, to help those who are far from God find life in Jesus Christ. What gives you the right to make your rules more important than God's will? You see what I'm saying? I know you might not agree with it. I'll probably get some email, but that's okay too. Bring your Bible with you. You know what I'm saying? See, the reason a church doesn't grow is not because they're not following the traditions. Sometimes the reason the church doesn't grow is because they've elevated the tradition to an idol status. Where the tradition is more important than fulfilling God's mission. Jesus wouldn't have any of that. I just don't think y'all realize sometimes how scandalous Jesus was. He did not care what other Jewish people thought of him in that moment. All he cared was what God thought of him. So here's a mission question. What code or tradition is blocking me from fulfilling God's mission? What code of conduct or mission that I've created, or that we've created, what, what code or mission is blocking me from fulfilling God's mission? You might say, well, I don't have any. Let's go have coffee. Because we all have something 
what's yours? Mission needs to drive our action. The second thing that we see in this encounter between Jesus and the woman in the well is that mission drives our conversation. How many conversations do you have on a given day? How many conversations? How many different people do you have conversations with? Jesus had a conversation with this woman at the well, and he moved the conversation along the trajectory of the good news, the gospel. He was not going to let the mission fail because he refused to share the truth, the good news, that she who was thirsty could be satisfied with living water. Look at verse 13 and 14. Jesus responds, they're in a conversation. Jesus responds to the woman and says, Whoever drinks of this water, the water in the well, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water rushing up into everlasting life. I, I, just, I just need for you to get the picture here. Jesus didn't talk about Jacob. Jesus knew Jacob, by the way. But, but, but Jesus didn't talk about Jacob. Jesus wanted to talk about how this thirsty soul could find new life. In fact, every conversation that we hear Jesus having throughout Scripture is, is, is saturated with this good news, that he had come to, to give life to individuals who were far from God, that he came to give abundant life, that he came uh, to be the bread of life, and whoever believes in him would never hunger or thirst again. He came to be the resurrection and the life, that, that he came to be the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus came to be the light of the world. Jesus came to help those who are dead in their sin find life through, through faith in him. And every conversation that Jesus had was, was influenced by the trajectory of this good news. How many conversations do you have a day? How many conversations with how many different people do you have a day? Here's the mission question. How many conversations... Do you have that point people to Jesus? How many of your conversations with your friends at school, with your coworkers, the people that you play games with, the people that you live with in your neighborhood or in your apartment complex, the people that you are deployed with, how, how many? of those conversations point people to Jesus. You might say, well, Eric, if, if I talked about Jesus in, in all those conversations, people start thinking I'm weird. Yes. They probably think you're a little weird anyway. Just... 
Eric, I can't, I can't always be talking about Jesus. I'm not saying that you've got to give a full gospel presentation every time you talk to somebody, but I am saying that there needs to be the flavor of Jesus and the good news of his rescuing love throughout every conversation that you have. There needs to be the aroma of the good news of Jesus Christ in every conversation that you have. There needs to be the scent of a Savior on every word and conversation that you have. Are your conversations moving along the trajectory of this good news that God has a purpose for your life and that, that, that your sin has separated you from God, but God sent Jesus to die on a cross for you, a sinner, to be raised from the dead so that you and I might have forgiveness of sin and a chance in a new life. And today you can find life through Jesus if you will repent your sin and place your trust in Jesus as your only hope. How many of your conversations, how about this week, just have, just have one? Just, just have one conversation. Mission drives our action. The question that goes along with that is, is uh, 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 what code or tradition keeps me from fulfilling the mission? The second point is that mission drives our conversation. And the question that goes along with that is, how many of my conversations point people to Jesus? The third thing we see in this encounter is that, that mission drives our perceptions of others. Mission drives our perception. Now, let's just talk about the woman at the well for a second. Beginning of verse 16 uh, Jesus says to her, says, go call your husband. <laughs> he, he, he's, he's, he's meddling in her life now. He says, go call your husband. And the woman said, I don't have a husband. She, he said, well, you have said, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. The one with whom you are now living is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. Jesus uh, let the woman know that he knew that she was a mess, that her life was a hot mess. Jesus wanted her to know that he knew that she was considered by the other people in the village as a bad girl. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't even associate, associate with her. They kept her at arm's length. They, they wouldn't talk with her. They wouldn't go to the well to, to, to draw water with her. She had to go all by herself. She was isolated and alone. When they looked at her, they saw someone that wasn't good. They saw somebody that wasn't worthy. That was their perception based upon her actions. That was their perception based upon her present and her past. All they could see was the mess. But Jesus looked beyond the mess and saw the miracle that she could become. The mission helps us understand that what we did is not the final say. The mission helps us see people not through the lens of their bad actions, but through the lens of God's active grace. 
The mission helps us understand that they're a mess, but I was a mess too. The mission helps us see people messed up, broken, dead on the inside, but with the hope that that thirsty soul can be satisfied by Jesus Christ and have life. When you look at people, what do you see? You see a bad girl, bad boy? You see someone who's made stupid mistakes? You see someone that is hostile toward you? you? See someone that's your enemy? You see someone that despises you? You see someone that you despise? You look at them based upon what they're wearing and based upon what they're saying, based upon where they're going. You look and you make judgments about them because of the way they've lived their life or the way they're living their life. And, and, and I get that. I understand that. But, but the mission transforms our perception from just merely defining a person by the past or by their present bad actions, but it begins to see them through the active grace of God that's made available to them through Jesus. It, it sees the mess and certainly acknowledges it, but moves even further than that and says that mess can be a miracle of God's grace, just like I was. Here's the mission question. When you look at people, do you see only the mess or do you see the miracle that God's grace can create? Hey, we were all hot messes. Dead in our trespasses and sin. What gives you the right to look down your nose on somebody that has made bad mistakes and, and is living an unhealthy life? What, what gives you the right to stand in your spiritual superiority and act like they're unworthy of God? Really? God protect us from that attitude. Let the mission drive our vision of others. Just as Christ's mission drove his vision of me. None of us are here by virtue of our merit. We're only here as followers of Jesus by, by, by virtue of his mercy. To pretend otherwise is to be an arrogant, prideful Pharisee. And by the way, that's not a compliment. See why I don't get a lot of amens in this sermon. Y'all get it. But y'all notice I'm trying to be soft-spoken and speak with an open face. Make it feel a little bit better. Mission drives our action. Is there any tradition or code that blocks us from blocks me from fulfilling the mission? Mission drives our conversation. How many of my conversations point people to Jesus? Mission drives 
our perception of others. When I see people, do I see only the mess or do I see the miracle that God can make them to be? The last thing I want us to look at at this passage in the mission of Jesus is the mission drives our satisfaction. I, I just want you to hear from Jesus uh, beginning in verse 27. It says, at this point, the disciples of Jesus came and they marveled that Jesus talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Her life had been changed by Jesus, by the way. So she goes back to the people that had rejected her, that, that, had, that had cut her off from community. She goes back to them because she had been satisfied by the living water who is Jesus Christ. She wanted others to experience that same satisfaction. So she goes to them. But, but then goes further, verse, 20, uh, verse 30. Then, then uh, the, the people of Samaria in the village of Sychar went out of the city and came to Jesus. Verse 31. In the meantime, the disciples of Jesus urged Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Verse 34. And Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was satisfied because he was feasting on fulfilling God's will. Now, I want you to hear this closely. The reason... People are dissatisfied. Followers of Jesus are dissatisfied or discontented with the church. Is not because of the music. It's not because of the preaching. It's not because of the parking or the pews. If you as a follower of Jesus are dissatisfied with the church, it's because you're not feasting on fulfilling God's will. You see, the church was not designed for us to get together and be entertained. The church was gathered together by the Spirit of God and given a name called First Norfolk so that we might fulfill His mission. And if you are here today and you're discontented and dissatisfied with this family of faith, then it's either because the church doesn't care about fulfilling God's mission or you don't care about it. And this church cares about fulfilling the mission. So, the question that I would ask, are you feasting on fulfilling God's mission? If not, that's the discontent you have in your heart. But the good news is that can change today when you commit yourself to feast on fulfilling God's mission. The disciples were caught in the grind of a grumbling stomach. They wanted food for their tummy, and Jesus had feasted on a spiritual nourishment that satisfied his soul. How many of us need that kind of satisfaction? 
It will only happen when we let go our idols and pursue God's mission. So, will you follow Jesus and live the mission he's given us? Would you bow your heads, please? In these next few moments, I'm just going to ask you to sit or stand or kneel or pray or come to this altar or come to one of the ministers here at the front. But this is the moment of response. Just like every week we have a moment of response, this is your moment to respond. God has spoken. God himself has spoken to you through his word. And it's on you to respond. Will you be obedient here and now? Some of you do need to come to this altar and talk to God about the idols in your heart. Those traditions or codes of conduct that have kept you from fulfilling God's mission. Maybe you need to come because you have been looking at people through the lens of of prejudice or racism or fear or just spiritual pride. And God has shown you how those wicked eyes are keeping you from being satisfied by fulfilling God's mission, and he's calling you to repent. Some of us here, we need to come, and we just need to cry out for the Lord to give us the courage we need to have that spiritual conversation this week with that one person God has laid upon our heart. Some of us just need to ask God to help us act according to the mission, not according to our emotions. To act according to the mission, not according to our tradition alone. So how will you respond? Over these next few minutes, our minister is going to be here and this altar is open. We're going to have Lance and Caitlin singing song of worship, and you can join them if you desire. You can remain seated. God is speaking. I pray that you and I would have ears to hear what the Lord has said. Now, God, glorify your name. Draw to yourself those whom you are calling. Give us the courage to grow right now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.